0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders, with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another week of Oil & Gas Startups. Taking this one solo today is just your guy, Colin, Frac Slap. I know you guys get disappointed when we don't have Jake on the show, but I have a great guest today. I got Ariana Carruth, CEO of PWS. How are you doing today?
1: Great. It's it's great to be here. Good. Thanks so much for so
0: having me. Ariana told me that she uh, has an extensive background in broadcasting. I'm about to put her podcasting skills to the test oh, and goodness. see how, how good are you really. No.
1: Well, I'm, I'm a bit rusty. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I already tell that you're more comfortable than most people. Okay. Like some people get in here and they're kind of yeah. rigid and, yeah. and stiff until we get going. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have to bust out the whiskey to loosen up. Well, I was going to say,
1: bit. y'all did offer whiskey.
0: <laughs> yeah. In, so. yeah. Most people don't want whiskey at 10 o'clock in yeah, the morning yeah, when they're recording podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I love podcasts like this because PWS, I have no idea what y'all do. You know, I looked up on LinkedIn real mm-hmm. quick. You know, I saw some things about Fulfilled yeah. 4.0. I don't even yeah. know what that means. So I'm sure we have a great conversation here why don't you give me the high-level, what is PWS?
1: So we're an international products company operating in oil and gas. We are focused on what we have trademarked as our CNIT technology, carbon negative impact tooling. And basically, we're in the ESG space with downhole equipment that reduces emissions and optimizes performance.
0: So... Downhole tool, it's in the string. You mm-hmm. guys have position, positioned it as ESG is reducing carbon. That's yes. pretty interesting. I haven't yes. heard anyone uh, pitch a product or tool like that. And you said the acronym was CINT?
1: CNIT, Carbon Negative Impact Tooling. Oh, CNIT.
0: Okay. Yes, got you.
1: Basically, it's technology that can be introduced into operations that uh, uses less energy in a task than an alternative. So okay. the idea is, is that if you're cognizant of what you're putting into your operations, that you can easily reduce CO2 emissions without making it too complicated. Yeah. That so we can be that easy ESG partner yeah. with not just our technology, but helping you identify maybe what technology that you have that could be classified as CNIT technology. Yeah. Or in other ways or in offering emissions reporting or consultancy in sustainability. Okay. Because we're all in this space of yeah. like knowing that we have to transition with the energy transition in oil and gas. And so that's why our company was founded. Well, this week
0: in particular is very interesting uh, with the war in Russia and Ukraine and the energy crisis. And, you know, this podcast may not go out for a few weeks, but just to, you know, we're recording this on, what is today's date? March 9th. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot happening in the world. Yeah. And I've been over on Twitter and LinkedIn saying, you know, there's nothing more ESG than American oil. And yeah. people are starting to realize that now, yeah, right? Absolutely. And you look at the oil and gas that we produce in this country, it is a lot cleaner than other parts of the world and Oh,
1: most definitely. We have a lot of
0: smart people and companies yes. that are working to make it even cleaner and more yes. sustainable day yes. after day. So we're gonna take this conversation in two parts. We're gonna talk about you know what you guys are doing and then okay. macro level of you know where the industry is and how yeah. oil and gas fits into the transition. Right. Um, because it's something that I'm very passionate about. So first before I l- really dive into what y'all are doing, your CEO, um, looked on your LinkedIn about two minutes before we started this podcast. It looked like you didn't start off as CEO. You started yeah. off at a different position. Mm-hmm. Did you found the company or did you?
1: I no, I was recruited. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was recruited, uh, when I was in the middle East. Okay. I, I was focused on, uh, the commercial aspects of oil and gas and really kind of trying to take some concepts probably that we use in other industries like broadcasting and adopt them more aggressively in oil and gas, because at that point we had seen this downturn. And when we have a downturn, we really have to to be aware of what changes we can make. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are changes that I was interested in making in companies in oil and gas to make us more profitable with capital efficiencies. And so that was really my my space was that modernization yeah um and so i was the chief revenue officer and then um the downturn happened and i
2: took over a CEO.
0: that's awesome yeah. yeah so i was talking before we started this podcast yes like i have no idea what we're doing on here i was like i have no idea what we're doing either hey, freestyle all of our podcasts But <laughs> well, like what i love is i start asking questions and you just like glaze over like i was in the middle east and like oh <laughs> you're in the middle east okay let's dive into that because it's okay. pretty interesting that you know you just kind of talk about that but let's start let's start you know you told me you had 20 year 20 year career in broadcasting Mm. let's start like i want to talk about this progression from broadcasting to now being ceo to oil and gas yeah an oil and gas related company so (laughs) let's kind of go back to point of inception how did you get into broadcasting what did you do on broadcasting
1: Okay, so broadcasting, I I started from the ground up, really. So I was, um, I operated a board, we call it a board opter. Uh, And I operated the board actually during uh, Rush Limbaugh of all shows, uh, God, <laughs> so that probably dazed of it, but like my, like, that was what that was.
0: Childhood memory: sitting in the back seat <laughs> of the car with my dad, listening to Rush Limbaugh, yeah. wanting to like kill myself there <laughs> as a kid. So yes,
1: so I was one of the people around the country that was operating the board during one of those broadcasts, um, and I got my feet wet uh, really on the operations side, and then uh, tried my hat and what it was like to be behind the mic in an entertainment space. And then quickly realized that uh, all the behind the scenes of how the company is run and how we make money and advertising and marketing became my passion. And I spent a lot of time in that space with uh, sales, sales teams, sales enablement, uh, and everything that was acutely tied to the revenue of the company. Yeah, Um, My career grew from... I think at one point I was like a promotions director, and then I became a vice president and ran the company. Uh, There, obviously, as a female, my trajectory may have been a bit different. I had children, and my career took different pauses throughout my my life having kids. And when I decided to reenter into the workforce, uh, I chose oil and gas. Uh, My husband at the time had been, uh, or he is still in oil and gas. and so I was very familiar with oil and gas uh, and very tied to it and yeah. very educated in that space for quite a, t- a long time. And also it intrigued me. And there was so many amazing um, aspects of oil and gas uh, that were similar to broadcasting. You know, this, this fiery attitude of like, we can do anything and, you know, the, the innovation, but also it's. It's a fun industry and it gets in your blood the same way broadcasting does. So I re-entered the, the workforce and actually re-entered in that sales space uh, in uh, oil and gas. And that just grew in from, you know, a sales space, just commercially focused and marketing focused and, and that I love that.
0: Like I love hearing stories like yours where people have built up successful careers outside of oil and gas and then some way or another they find their way in oil and gas and they end up loving it. And yeah. it's always a sense like, it gets in your veins. And it does. Like, it's just so yes. contagious. Something about it. It is contagious. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is absolutely contagious. And then it's also one of those industries that you can just believe in. I mean, there are so many amazing people in oil and gas. It's fun to hang out with people in oil and yeah. gas. I mean, I send my son to a, a school where everyone is oil and gas. I yeah. mean, it's it's a great comfort space. And um, I was an expat in oil and gas. And you, you just, yeah, it definitely does get in your blood. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what did your husband do in oil and gas?
1: <laughs> uh, his focus has been um, subsea.
0: Okay, yeah. awesome. So is that why were you over, uh, yeah. overseas yeah. Uh, for his job? So. Yeah in middle east where did y'all live at oh middle actually east?
1: we lived in norway
2: oh you lived in
0: norway yeah, lived oh okay norway. cool that's I pretty cool
1: i was in the, the the middle east professionally with a, a company that i was employed with. oh
0: got lowest, you yeah. got you yeah. yeah that's always so i joined this company and venture in 2014 and just promised the world it's like gonna be traveling all over yes, the world yes we're running always that. <laughs> yeah, making all this money and then 2014 downturn hit mm-hmm. and yes i never got Yes. I got a ton of great experience. Still yes. got to go deep water Gulf of Mexico, North, right. South of Alaska, everywhere around the U.S., yeah. but never got to go spend time in the Middle East or yeah. um, uh, you know just anywhere in the world. And so I'm always jealous when people get yeah. to have that experience. But I also love like hearing your story of reentering the workforce after becoming a mother. And, yeah, you know, I have three kids myself, and mm-hmm. see the hardships the parents go through uh, when dealing with that. I do think it's funny that you're like, okay, I just went through this uh, challenging time of being a mother. Now I'm going to go get an oil and gas, like <laughs> put some additional easier. stress on you. <laughs> you know? so, uh, but anyways, that, that's really interesting. And so let's talk about the technology that you guys are implementing. And, um, you know, I come from a drilling background, okay. drilled and completed with lots of wells okay. in, in my life. And so I always like talking about downhole technology. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this is the first time I've heard something. Uh, positioned as, hey, this is downhole technology that's gonna
1: save energy.
0: It's gonna save energy yeah. and reduce uh carbon emissions. So walk me through that part. What is the technology? Like I'm okay. a ten year old that has no drilling background. <laughs> okay. And then Maybe I'll drill down deeper and no pun intended into, uh, into like what it actually is, but I just want to hear how you guys explain it.
1: Well, I don't have an engineering degree, so this might come <laughs> across very easy to me. And Look, I have a high I'm school degree too. I just like drilled a, a lot of wells, so <laughs> um, I'm not
0: an engineer either. <laughs>
2: so, um,
1: we have uh, what, what we've trademarked as uh, Zoom technology for uh, drilling, it's the Zoom DX. And basically, it is lateral wave technology. It is in the vibratory technology space, that bucket, but we are in the string, and basically the technology is downhole equipment. It is in the string, and it creates a lateral wave um, with uh, this off-centered mass that we have patented, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and obviously in drilling, there are harmful uh, and destructive harmonics in that string, And, and when that happens, all sorts of chaos happens in the drilling process. And part of that is like high stick slip, your ROP is, 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 is suffering, and mm-hmm. those are things that you don't want to have. It doesn't make it effective
0: hey, Drilling drill, operation right? becomes more inefficient, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we increase that efficiency and save on drilling time by basically going in with this lateral wave that kind of, think of it as like noise canceling headphones. It cancels out the unwanted harmonics. Mm-hmm. And so then it steadies the state of the string. And when the string then is steady, then you have more effective on bottom time, and so your ROP is increased. And what we have seen then is we're really eliminating stick-slip issues to background levels. So obviously, our technology um, is used um, in you know, extended-reach drilling, mm-hmm. horizontal. Um, we are often compared to technology like the agitator. That's an axial vibration tool, so we are different. Um, we are patented. But also our technology is not in the BHA, it's in the string. Yeah. It was um, invented by uh, a colleague of mine, Michael Blakely, and he was a drilling engineer for quite some time. And so I think that it, what is so great about our industry is that we have these, these innovators uh, in the industry who are on the job and they're frustrated. For a lot of reasons, yeah, and they are inventing technology in their in their headspace of how can we do this better, yeah. And I think that our strategy with this is that there is a lot of focus on the BHA, and the BHA is just actually a small portion. Your string can be like what, like three miles long, or yeah. something crazy, <laughs> yeah. right?
0: Okay, you're talking ten to twenty <laughs> thousand exactly. feet of pipe.
1: <laughs> There's a lot that is happening in the string. But yeah, our focus is so much on the BHA, and it it doesn't have to be about changing your bit. I think that having a good bit on your BHA is important. Yes. Yeah, but there are other things that are happening that are just as important. And so if you adopt yeah. the, the, the zoom into uh, the string and you know cancel out these unwanted harmonics and have more effective drilling, you are saving time drilling. Yeah. Now, how we calculate that out then is, you know, when you're saving all that time, you're also saving on diesel fuel. And if we only take the diesel fuel savings alone, we are saving a considerable amount of of energy, CO2, but also cost for the client.
0: Yeah. Well, first, uh, I think you speak really well to the product for not being an engineer. Not (laughs) an engineer. You definitely throw out the technical (laughs) terms. And I'm like, hey, that all makes sense in the sentence. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think you need to give yourself more credit for being able to speak to the uh, engineering and the value proposition of the product. But, um, no, I think that's actually a really good point of how much focus we put on the BHA and a drill string, but we don't really focus on, Hey, we've got two miles of pipe behind the BHA. Surely there's things that we can do uh, to increase efficiency there. And then that leads to the point of increasing efficiency in the drilling operation. Like, you know, let's think about this. You have to change out tools, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to make a bit trip or, Mm uh, uh, you know, you got to change out a mud or a Letter, a motor or um M W D tools, whatever it may right. be, how much energy does it take and how much time loss does it take to make that bit trip and lose time from drilling, right? Right. And so if you start looking at okay, how can we stay in the hole longer in y'all's case, how can we eliminate these unwanted harmonics? Um, it starts the efficiencies start backing up to your point. Hey, diesel usage right goes down. That's yeah. a very easy one to quantify right, Um, just there's probably five to ten other things that become more efficient and overall reduce a uh, carbon footprint, and so that's actually really interesting to me.
1: Well, we're also saving then, too, because these harmonics can be so destructive in operations, they're damaging other tools. Yeah. So there are cost implications, Yeah, but then also, I mean, if you're really going to scope it out, then there are sustainability, you know, impacts as well, because when you are then Replacing yeah. a tool, then what happens to that tool, what, what's happening in the recycling of that tool. I mean, we're we're basically extending the life of everything downhole, or the most part, a lot of different things downhole when they're yeah. not being destroyed. Well, that's a, I had a really
0: popular Twitter thread, I think it was last year, and part of that thread was I think some of the most interesting energy tech over the next ten years is actually in the oil and gas space mm. because not only does it affect um, sustainability and make the industry cleaner but a lot of it also has economic, positive economic impact for the operators too. And yes. so if you can hit the intersection of, hey, this will save you money, but also makes you more sustainable right. and gets you points yes. on your ESG score, it's yes. a fucking no-brainer no, for no. companies, right? Totally, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, but that's kind of what I was, I was alluding to is that you have these negative harmonics, which are go- going to have wear and tear mm-hmm. on tools in your BHA. So now you're having to pull. Yeah. And overall, um, it can save a company time and money and reduce uh, carbon emissions as well. So I love technology that kind of hits at that intersection. It's really exciting.
1: And it's simple. Okay. So like, you know, I think that the best innovations that our industry is going to see moving forward is also like, let's not overcomplicate things. Mm -hmm. Like things can be simple and... Our tool is patented. it is it, I mean obviously I'm going to only say good things about it, but what I also <laughs> love about it is that it's simple. This isn't something that um, it doesn't have you know a complicated internal system that could break, but also the servicing on it is really easy. It doesn't yeah. have to be serviced you know, but every five to six runs. So I think that it's it's taking innovation in our industry and then going, okay, how can we make make it more simple, more user friendly?" and also something that is so robust, we don't yeah. really have to think about changing it out. And that's why also I love oil and gas so much In the technology. We're not creating fragile tech- technology, yeah. you know? It's-,
0: it's just stuff that's getting pounded down. Exactly, a yeah, <laughs> Miles Absolutely. below the Earth's surface. Absolutely. So hearing you talk, it sounds like it's, you know, I haven't seen tools so i don't know what it looks like but it sounds a like a
1: pipe like
2: everything yeah it sounds else. like it's dumb. it
0: sounds like yeah
2: <laughs> it's a big pipe
0: <laughs> <laughs> have a pretty good pretty good pipe. idea of what it would look like yeah. but um sounds like it may be dummy iron like it doesn't have a lot of internal Mm-mm. um no. uh mechanics to it so no, it sounds and like it's, it's simple
1: it's got subs on either side i mean it, it's a yeah. long pipe yeah the, the magic is in the internal component that is patented yeah,
0: yeah. got you yeah Um, I also like the point that you brought up of engineers in this industry that continuously see problems in their day-to-day operations and they're smart people, right? So they look at, okay, how can I fix Mm -hmm. that problem? And that's one of the coolest things about oil and gas to me is that you have people that have the capability to figure out those problems. And we've only been drilling horizontal wells for, you know, really commercially for a decade. Mm -hmm. And so we're still in the infancy of yep. horizontal drilling. And then you see what's happening and um, geothermal, you know, they're mm-hmm. taking applications and knowledge from oil and gas and what we've been able to do with horizontal drilling. And so I think that's super cool that one, there's simple technology, like there's, I don't want to call it low hanging fruit because it is right difficult problem. They're difficult problems to solve, but they're problems that can be solved yes. by engineers that see them day to day. And, Say, hey, I've got an idea for this, and then yeah. go commercialize it and make it a yeah. product. So, how long has PWS been uh, been doing this? How long have y'all been?
1: So, we started, uh, and obviously, the best time ever to start an oil and gas, which was 2020, which, in my opinion, is so, the best
0: time to start. Like exactly, I, I believe I the best businesses are built at the bottom <laughs> yes. of cycles in the dark days. Cause look, in
1: the darkest of days, all you can, do is, oil go, was all you can minus do is go dollars so. a barrel. <laughs> we said, hey, yeah. <laughs> let's keep going. Um, so so yeah so we're we are a a relatively new company um there are advantages and disadvantages of when we started in that space i think that um obviously the company was born out of that um that we are in an energy transition Mm -hmm. uh when you say 4.0 that actually um was something that we really uh attached to when um Adnoc made their uh declaration that they would be part of you know the industrial revolution of, of you know 4.0 with their you know their targets for net zero at 2030 and we started seeing all these changes and we knew that it was coming we wanted to build a company that was really focused on that so the advantage is that I didn't have to take some company in a new transition and start talking about ESG when we had never talked about ESG. Our company was built on those foundations. Um, Obviously, then also coming in at a time where we were all experiencing this global pandemic and a market recession, that um, some of the capital efficiency ideas that I really wanted to put forth uh, for how the company would be led were much more digestible in 2020 than they would have been in 2019 or yeah. 2018. I mean, telling, you know, a sales professional that they could zoom a call in 2018 looks totally different than it yeah. does now in 2022, yeah, right? For sure. <laughs> telling them I don't want printed brochures, <laughs> you know, because it's, you know,
0: it's archaic. It, it's archaic. Yeah. Yes.
1: In 2018 was, you know, an uphill battle. Yeah. Saying it now, they're like, of course we wouldn't want printed brochures. Yeah, would well, know we right? do that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It
0: is wild how yeah. things that should have been common sense to our industry back in 2019. Yes. Like everyone's kind of, COVID was a good thing in that yes, sense. Yes, in so that
1: sense, that. absolutely. Yeah. Things that I was talking at, uh, you know, about ad nauseum in 2019 that was just falling on deaf ears, suddenly 2020, certainly by, you know, H2 two of 2020, people were like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So I'm really proud of our industry that we have not just moved forward with the energy and transition, but we are becoming more efficient. You mm-hmm. know, we are having tough conversations about capital efficiencies and inventory and trying to do things differently. I, I run a company that I refuse call-offs. We don't do call-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we can be commercially viable without doing call-offs. We work too long-term contracts and we manufacture our goods for contracts instead of having a lot on the shelf Yeah. Uh, when I don't know what's going to happen yeah. uh, to the market. I don't know when that's going to be used, but also just for the advantage to our clients, they know that their stuff is manufactured to their spec and also they get the latest iteration. Yeah, It's not a year old even, it's yeah. the latest Yeah, and then it's theirs for their contract. And then the tools are you know recycled, yeah, after they're used.
0: so let's talk about that like, let's let's dive into that because i always I'm always interested to hear from operators that have capital intensive businesses mm-hmm. such as downhole equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks completely different than a business like digital wallcatters or software right. and I'm an operator. I like all businesses, and so yeah. I like kind of digging into your mind of yeah uh, running this business. And that's really interesting to me. You're like, Hey, look, you know, we keep light inventory, We keep these things right. on the shelves. We manufacture off of a contract basis, um, which I'm sure that comes with pros and cons as well too, because I'm sure y'all turn down, you know, some, some jobs that maybe we do. Are, are one off and we do. I'm sure yeah. you think about that. You're like, Oh, that sucks. That's lost, lost <laughs> revenue. But, yeah, but you gotta think yeah. about the business model and long-term <laughs> sustainability of the company as well yeah. right and if you had those one call offs i mean that's capital intensive to right. keep all that inventory on hand it is. so it's um, also a
1: risk to the ip yeah and, i mean when you're a small company and a startup your ip is everything
0: yeah so, yeah. yeah so did you guys start this company with funding has it been yeah. bootstrapped um you know, talk me through that a little bit. You don't have to, you don't have to, (laughs) because I do like, I do sense like a little bit of resourcefulness in the way that y'all think about the business. Yeah, most definitely.
1: I think those, that comes from my broadcasting days. Uh, Broadcasting is not an industry, you know, oil and gas. Um, I was amazed with oil and gas and how, you know, gluttonous oil and gas can be. I mean, I certainly remember the heydays of oil and gas and the, the amazing parties and you know just the <laughs> swag and like yeah. you know just the expense accounts and it everything it a was so amazing it's so yeah. glorious okay in broadcasting that's not a thing okay yeah. <laughs> in broadcasting is, it is like you know you have to be very resourceful. So a lot of that was just like who I am as an individual and how I've managed a company. Yeah. So a lot of that is just like, why would we, I'm sorry, like, why would we do it that way? Just because we have the money, like, why would we spend it like that? Like, it's just yeah. so foreign to me. I'm like, can't we do it better? That's what I feel like. Can't that, we do yeah, it more efficiently? I feel efficiently? like that's
0: like something that gets ingrained in your DNA because at Wildcat or something, we're scrappy as fuck. Look at our office, like we like, It's an amazing office, yeah. it's really cool actually. <laughs> like, yeah. We're scrappy, like, I mean, have that, I mean, it is literally one of our core values that we yeah. do more with less and I take pride yes. in that. And yeah. one thing is like, dude, I grew up as a roughneck. Like, I, yeah. I never got exposed to that in oil and gas of the extravagant parties. Like I was a roughneck and guess what? I mean, we did some pretty innovative shit out there to fix parts on our drilling rig because we had to, we had to figure it out. And so I've like just had that beaten into my mind of you figure out solutions. You don't focus on a problem. It doesn't matter if you have resources, you figure it out.
2: Yeah. And that's something that is
0: so core to my DNA that any company I ever run, like it actually becomes a problem because it's like you start growing and it's like, oh, hey, maybe we should spend some money <laughs> to mm-hmm. fuel hard growth instead of yeah. like just staying scrappy. But yeah, I think that uh, the dynamics of running a downhole tool company that's capital intensive, I'm always just fascinated by that because I've had companies on the show that are doing it successfully. And I think that it's hard, right? It it's, is hard. It's hard, um, but it's not impossible. And I see a ton of companies succeeding yeah. with it. And so love how y'all kind of frame that you just have to
1: be intentional and i and i do think that the best things come out of being creative and being cognizant of 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 your expenditures in the way of like you can't just throw money at any problem or Mm -hmm. every problem Mm -hmm. and that like the more creative solutions but also the better uh, solutions i phrase it more of like sustainable sustainable business models right because you know i think we've all worked for the companies that have had hundreds of millions of dollars infused to them and we've all seen the executives spend all of that money. And then, and then, you know, essentially those companies are sold off. Right. Yeah. We've all seen that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think that we're all aware of, of that. And I think when you get this big piggy bank, you can be in that space of like, let's just spend to spend, but you do have to be very cognizant because you're not just, you know, talking about when oil's over $100 a barrel, but you have to prepare for these big market contractions.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: you know, I joked, my daughter's going to college and she was thinking about writing essays of like what what she's going to do. And we joked about uh, the oil industry, I was like, Honestly, your whole life, your whole childhood, you could write a great essay just based off of where you were when, when oil was what, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it's like you're, you, you were born in 2004. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see where oil was then. But here's a child who has grown up in oil and gas yeah. and seen her parents and her life react to oil and gas. Yeah. And I think that when when I transfer that over, like, how do I want to lead a company? I'm not sure I want this like massive switch of, you know getting really big because oil's up and then retracting it and getting, you know, I mean, it's just this unhealthy cycle instead of just riding that steady wave where we are being careful and we're being cognizant of our capital efficiency. It's
0: always driven me crazy with EMPs specifically of massive growth during times of high commodity prices. Mm -hmm. And then when the market contracts, they lay off 30% of their workforce. CEOs never come out and say, Hey, this was a result of our poor planning right? because this is one of the most, yeah. uh, I mean, what industry runs in cycles more than oil yeah. and gas, right? Like you should plan for that and say, hey, yeah. we know that there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be regression to the mean. Right. We need to plan for that and have sustainable growth that way. And there are great companies like that, like you know, Hill Corps of the world that right. don't lay off people, but they plan for those ups and yeah. downs. And I think that you have to think about that when you're a business that operates in oil and gas, that, hey, there's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. We have to grow sustainably. To your point, I think you take on too much capital. That can be a curse to a lot of companies. You see it in Silicon Valley all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, They chase crazy high valuations. They don't Mm -hmm. ship product. They're never able to truly grow into those valuations. They just burn through a shit ton of money because they have it.
1: Yeah, never, or they make a bunch of products that nobody wants That to nobody buy. wants
0: in the first yeah, place. Yeah. <laughs> but they
1: spent millions of dollars yeah. in prototype. Yeah. So, I mean, like I talk to other companies and I'm like, I can't believe you spent that much oh, money I mean, on that stuff. Like make sure in, somebody the, wants the it right. Grift
0: first. in deep tech and energy tech right now is high. Yeah. You have companies raising millions and millions of dollars. They can't get a usable product that anyone wants or that's even commercially viable. Yeah. And this is a conversation for another time <laughs> but i mean it, it happens i mean yeah. shipping product that works is hard when you're talking about energy tech and yeah, um, yeah I, it's always a fine balance if you need the right amount of capital and yes. i think too much capital is a curse but right. then you don't want to be underfunded right and so that's that's always a balancing act um so next question is you know in oil and gas, one of the problems with downhole tech is that everyone wants to see pilots, and they're like, mm. they never want to be the first, right? Mm. They're interested interested in adopting tech, but they don't want to be the first one to send your tool downhole.
1: That's true. Um,
0: have y'all gotten over <laughs> gotten over that hump?
1: Yeah, um, to where y'all are
0: running in wells.
1: Definitely, and to be honest, I think a lot of that is. You have to explain the technology over and over and over again. You have to make sure that you know he, to the point
0: you get tired of hearing yourself yes, talk about uh, it. To huh? the point where
1: you have to make sure you're not, you know, telling too much, you know, yeah. because it is your IP. But that you're, you know, convincing people. And I think also it's that risk matrix. You know, making sure that people understand that if they take that risk on you, that you're not going to embarrass them. That um, you know, the, the the Zoom in particular. You know if it were to fail it just stops running right because it's it's based off flow mm-hmm. so it just stops turning it stops vibrating it's not gonna like blow up down hole um so it's talking really about what the technology is what the risk is and then also i think a lot of it is leveraged off of individuals pers- you know their their reputations and oil and gas one of the best things about oil and gas is the networks that we all have mm-hmm. and how we do kind of look out for each other.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So, but yeah, certainly adoption is a challenge with any technology
0: downhole. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, getting distribution of any product is always mm-hmm. a challenge, right? It doesn't matter if it's downhole tech, yeah. software, or whatever they be, yeah. distribution is always, always yeah. a challenge. First, create a good product doesn't matter if you create a good product though, if you have no distribution, though, right? And adoption. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. But um, where do you guys, are y'all operating mainly in the Permian? Actually we actually are
1: not in the Permian at all. Um, actually,
0: I... not in the Permian. No. That's interesting. Um,
1: okay. Uh, yeah. So the company never had um, a focus on the US or has not yet. Okay. Obviously, 2020 was not the time of the you know time <laughs> of the industry to focus on yeah. uh, the U.S. Um, I do think that the U.S. market um, is certainly viable for the company moving forward. Uh, we're in drilling, fishing, and coil intervention, and I think you know the coil applications in particular uh, are something that definitely interests me uh, moving forward in that market space. Um, the Permian is a very specific market. Um, yeah, and I think that some of our uh, commercial strategies work better in different parts of the world. Yeah. So for us, our focus has been on the Middle East and Asia.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah,
1: long-term contracts. You know. Yeah. Bigger operators, less. Instead of you know thinking about a lot of customers, few customers.
0: Yeah, less volume on uh, the yeah. customer side. So to yeah. be really
1: honest, and also to be really honest, again, I operate the company in in a specific way. So. If I was to open up a U.S. market, I would be looking for a U.S. partner.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, and
1: I would be looking at licensing deals, or I would be looking at, you know, a revenue share opportunity in the U.S. with a company um, that had the infrastructure that we don't have yeah, so you'd be looking for like an, professional, like an
0: nov partner those, or someone not
1: like an that. ov since they're <laughs> a competitor <but> <laughs> okay <laughs> no, right, not, not an ov, OV.
0: sorry but you guys get uh, it. <laughs> but yeah i would
1: be looking for uh, yeah. a strong partner that shared similar values um that then had that infrastructure because you do need a lot of sales professionals and a lot of that input yeah uh it, it is very much of who yeah. you know i love the permian yeah. i love hanging out in the permian yeah um, i actually really do like odessa and midland yeah um, but yeah, that's what I would be looking at. Yeah. I, I well, the Permian the the in, in
0: particular is really interesting because I remember like back in 2017, 2018, the CFO of a pressure pumping uh, company, they actually shut down their operations in Midland. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we just can't compete out there because all of these small mom and pops, they go to church with their clients. Yeah. And like you have to have boots on the ground people yeah. there that are yeah. in the Midland network, yeah. right? And so... Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's so many paths to growth and one Mm -hmm. of the best paths is through partnerships, right? Yes. That allows you to start scaling up without having to um, increase OPEX of bringing on sales teams and then just the systems and processes that you need to stand up to make that. It's a huge challenge so
1: it works well for us yeah i'll be the first to say i don't know everything (laughs) so i think that sticking to your core competencies is the best yeah we have great tech it's patented and we know a lot about esg and the energy transition and we can certainly put the math to um, co2 savings yeah but i don't have a lot of you know on the boots you know on the ground boots yeah uh, you know these connections around the world but, you know, we do have partners in Saudi. We do have partners in the UAE. They are well-equipped. You know, our partner in the UAE is, has 45 years of experience. They have the facilities. They have the teams. They have, you know, they're in Adnoc's office. It's a little bit different. Yeah, for than sure. If I was trying to facilitate that from over here.
0: For sure. Yeah, well, I think one, that's the sign of any great leader is to understand where your strengths and weaknesses are. So um, definitely, yeah, a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, definitely no shame in uh, admitting where y'all are weak and where you're strong. I think that that's uh, a lot of companies struggle with that. So I think that's great. Um, okay, someone's listening to this. We have a lot of drilling engineers, completions engineers that listen to the show. Yeah. If they want to hear about this technology, What's y'all's website? Can they find out about y'all yeah. online? Can they find you on LinkedIn? Everywhere. Can they, everywhere? Even on
1: Instagram, I think. So. Damn, even on yes. IG. You can, so. DM, <laughs> yeah. you can DM the company on, on Instagram. I'm or sure someone is, will find a way is to check This is the
0: 2022 it. oil field. We're no longer <laughs> yes. in 2018. No. So uh, that's thought yeah. everyone's like, I go to events, like you have cards. I'm like, dog, I'm on Twitter. Like you can DM yeah. me on Twitter. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, yeah, they can find us on pureworldsustainability.com or okay. pws-ce.com.
0: I meant to ask, what does that stand for? So
1: PW Pure yeah. World Sustainability. There you
0: go. We okay. take
1: sustainability quite seriously. It isn't our name. Cool. Uh, but yeah, we are on LinkedIn, most certainly, and Facebook and
0: Instagram. All right. All right, guys. If y'all want to reach out and hear about this, I think it's pretty cool. Um, we're going to drop a link in the show notes. Uh, y'all can check out PWS online, get some more information. I mean, this conversation has been been great i'm excited about the technology because i love stuff that's down the hole that's simple <laughs> that lives at the intersection of uh creating efficiencies improving economics and sustainability so if you guys want to check it out make sure to reach out appreciate you coming on the show thank today. you
1: very much thanks. also
0: she did have a background in broadcasting <laughs> tested it here got an a-plus review so thanks appreciate you coming on
2: thank you very cut, much cut, cut, cut.